0: This morning, we're returning to the lectionary and to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to encounter Jesus as he's invited to the home of a Pharisee for supper. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning with the first verse. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the home of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed, that is Jesus, when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, Give this person your place. And then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. As we begin a new school year, I'm reminded of a film from a number of years back when I was uh, still in school myself entitled Mean Girls that depicts the often toxic social world adolescents face in school whether it's bullying, peer pressure, clicks, and so on. In particular, I'm reminded this morning of a scene when the new girl at school is given a rundown of the school cafeteria. There were tables for jocks, for popular kids, band geeks, uh, band kids, geeks, goths, so on and so on. Basically, what she learned was that your social standing determined where you would sit in the cafeteria. Everyone had their place, and everyone knew where their place was. Messing with this, i.e. someone sitting where they didn't belong, would throw the entire system into chaos. In our lesson today, Jesus, too, encounters a dining situation where the seating chart is assigned due to status. He goes to the home of a Pharisee leader for a Sabbath meal, And Luke tells us that Jesus takes particular notice on how the guests chose their place of honor. Now, the act of inviting someone to your home for a meal in Jesus' day was not a leisurely time to catch up with friends that we know with dinner parties today that some of us might be doing this weekend for Labor Day. No. There were always strings attached to such an invitation, both the host and the guest would be well aware of this. It was part of a system of patronage in the ancient world that said, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, or quid pro quo. To have someone to your home for a meal meant that you needed their help with something. Could be financial help, could be a promise of protection or loyalty. But very often, this help involved raising one's social standing. In other words, you would invite prominent people over so that you would rise in prominence yourself. So these meals sought to honor guests, to wine and dine them with the expectation, the very clear expectation, of patronage later. It was done with the expectation that they would be repaid. At these meals, the seating chart didn't need to be said. It was known. Everyone knew the order of prominence of the guest list and which seat corresponded to their own place of honor. Now, like the exaggerated high school cafeteria and Mean Girls, your social standing told you where to sit, and you didn't dare mess with this system. I feel like right now I can make a joke about Presbyterians and finding our assigned pews. <laughs> I I feel like that might be a little too uh, teed up, but uh, in all fun, it it reminds me of that. We, We all have our spot. We all know where we're supposed to go. So Jesus, being a good teacher, but also a very bad dinner guest, does just that. He decides to mess with the system. He subverts the whole thing. He questions why the other guests are striving for the places of honor. But strangely enough, Jesus subverts the whole system by using the wisdom of their ancestors in Proverbs, which we heard in our very, very brief first lesson. Thank you, Candy, for reading that. The Proverbs were intended to be a practical guide for young people entering the professional world, in particular for young professionals entering the Jewish court system. The wisdom in the proverb is quite practical. Of course, it's better to take a lower seat and then later be asked to come forward to a better one than it is to be humiliated by being moved down from a higher seat to a lower seat. It's good advice for a bunch of young people beginning their professional careers. Now, While Jesus references this proverbial wisdom, the practical advice it employs doesn't seem to be what Jesus is concerned about, though. Instead, Jesus is concerned about humility. In a society where one's standing was as valuable as gold, Jesus tells these religious and legal leaders to take lower places. But it's more than trying to knock these exalted leaders down a peg or two. Our reading begins with Jesus noticing the leaders taking their exalted places. Then what does he do? He tells them a parable. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus is speaking in parables, everything we know as reality goes out the window. It's no longer a moral story, it's a kingdom story. It's no longer a story about the world as we know it, but a story about the world God is bringing about for us in Christ. The teaching about taking the lowest seat at a banquet then becomes not so much practical advice but rather it's an illustration of how God lifts up the lowly in our world while humbling those who exalt themselves. This parable gives us a glimpse of the way God works. Almost like we put on a special pair of glasses, we're able to see the world with parable eyes for just a moment that we too might participate in it by humbling ourselves and lifting up those in need around us. Now, Jesus continues his parabolizing and speaking in parables by turning his attention from the guests to the host. Not only does Jesus throw out the whole Greco-Roman seating chart, but he subverts the entire patronage system as well. He says, when you throw a party, when you invite people over for dinner, don't invite people simply in the hope that they'll repay you or that they'll make you look good. Rather, invite people who can never pay you back. He says invite people that no one else will, the poor, the blind, the disabled, because they have been left out of this broken system of quid pro quo. Instead of being repaid or getting a bump in your status by inviting those on the margins into your home, you will experience a life of blessing and meaning. So Jesus goes from talking to the guests about taking lower seats, humbling themselves, talking to the host of what it means to serve others we can quickly see that Jesus teaching here told in a dinner party setting goes far beyond our table manners through parable eyes friends we are able to see what it looks like to practice kingdom humility and hospitality in every aspect of our lives Recently, a colleague led me to a book by New York Times columnist David Brooks, entitled The Second Mountain, where he reflects on what it means to live a moral and fulfilling life. The title image he imagines is that there are two mountains. Most of us spend our youth and young adulthood climbing the first mountain, getting the right education, career, job advancement, status, and so on. The first mountain, he says, is about serving ourselves. It's the mountain our culture tells us we should be climbing. Brooks says, though, at some point, we discover that the meaning of life or even the joy of life isn't found on climbing this mountain or even found at the top of this mountain. He notices, though, that some people find another mountain altogether. Climbing this second mountain, he says, is, about, is not about serving oneself, but about serving others. It's not about lifting up your own status or comparing yourselves to others, but rather seeking the well-being of your community. This new path is rooted not in oneself, but in a deep commitment to one's own faith, family, and community. Brooks argues that it's only on the second mountain that a person can find meaning and joy in their life. Brooke's Two Mountains image reminds me a lot of the kind of hospitality and humility Jesus' parable calls us to imagine and pursue in our own lives. You see, the Pharisees and the dinner guests in our lesson today are stuck climbing that first mountain. They're trying to find ways to lift themselves up, they're trying to find the best seats, they're trying to help their brand. There's much we can identify with in our world today. And many of us, myself included, at times still find ourselves on this mountain. But deep down, we know that that path is empty. Instead of taking his status-appropriate place, Jesus flips their world upside down and offers a path off the first mountain and to the second one. Jesus invites the Pharisees and us to get off of this self-serving path and instead climb the mountain of discipleship, humbling ourselves, seeking to serve God and neighbor, to practice kingdom hospitality without condition, without hope for repayment or reward. Aspects of this kind of discipleship are exactly what we'll be studying and reflecting on in our fall sermon series, What Disciples Do, and it's Exciting to to go deeper into this idea uh, with you all this fall. Friends, as I said before, through parable eyes, seeing this vision, this story parabolically, Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees is no longer about dining practices, it's rather about God's kingdom. More specifically, what hospitality looks like in this kingdom. Scholar Brendan Byrne sums up Jesus' mission in the Gospel of Luke by saying that the entire mission of Jesus in Luke's Gospel is bringing forth the hospitality of God. This teaching about inviting those who cannot repay the favor becomes an illustration of how God welcomes us into the kingdom based solely on God's love and grace and having absolutely nothing to do with who we are or what we can offer And friends, we see this boundless hospitality of God in Christ every time we gather at our Lord's table. Here, as we gather to be fed by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we're reminded that we're not invited to this feast because we're worthy. We're certainly not invited in the hope that we might repay the favor. Rather, we're invited to this feast solely out of God's grace and love for us in Christ. I know as hard as it is to believe for us Presbyterians, there are no assigned seats for this feast. And there are certainly no seats of honor for this feast. Fed and nourished at our Lord's table, we are able to go out and share this hospitality with others boldly in our lives. So friends, may Jesus' parabolic words help us to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond our status, and humble ourselves that we might lift others up. May we extend this overwhelming, world-changing hospitality of God to our neighbors, particularly to those in need and those on the margins of our community, that all may truly know the boundless grace and love of God in Christ our Lord. May it be so, friends. Amen.